So James, we had a really great interview with Jorge today. I really like the idea of getting into lending. We've talked about this before, but this is a really unique approach, I would say, right? Yeah, you know, and, and, and Patty, there's a reason we haven't talked about it, right? We haven't, there hasn't been somebody that we wanted there's to There's not a whole podcast. lot out there, right? Yeah, and, and and so I think, you know, Jorge, you know, having founded On Deck, which is like one of the most well-known capital sources for businesses, and mm-hmm. now- looking at the next iteration and partnering with the ISO, I think it's pretty cool. So yeah. uh, you definitely gonna want to hear that. Um, in the questions from the field, I answer a question from a brand new salesperson. And, you know, the question really is, how do I get out of the car and walk into a business? Like, oh, yeah, that's a know, tough the, one, right? The anxiety of it, the nervousness and, and all of that. And so I just kind of talked with her about that challenge and tried to give her some encouragement and some tips. So we're going to share that. And then tell Excellent. us about the insiders. Uh, about a new report, uh, actually a couple of new reports on um, the integration of payments and software. And I think people are going to find this really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's a uh, a dark cloud. As no. James and I talked, there's some there's some really strong rays of sun shining through. Yeah, I think I think it's just more um, confirmation of kind mm-hmm. of the trends that we've been talking about and then right. talking about what to do about it. So, yeah, really, yeah, really good yeah. stuff. Uh, obviously, our episode today is sponsored by NMI. So head over to NMI.com. Also, I would encourage you, though, to look at Iris. So Iris CRM, mm-hmm. uh, the leading CRM for payments companies. Check out IrisCRM.com. That's I-R-I-S-C-R-M.com. Let's get started. Okay. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Jorge Sun, who is the founder and CEO at Lending Front. How are you doing today, Jorge? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. So uh, we are going to be talking about capital for small businesses. Uh, there's been a lot of activity. Hot topic. Seen, yeah, a hot topic. We've seen Square come out with their mm-hmm. capital, Stripe Capital, Intuit Capital. Everybody's providing capital. Um, and so things have changed a good bit. And so we're going to talk about that t- today, but before we do that, um, Jorge, you've never been on our podcast before. So tell us your story. Like, how did you get into this industry? And then how did you end up starting, um, lending front? Sure. So, um, my, uh, look, I, I what's interesting is I was a banker by trade. Okay. So I ran credit for American express, JP Morgan, capital one, always lending to small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually owned a small restaurant, uh, restaurant in manhattan so i know what it is to actually own a small yeah. business mm-hmm. um, but what's but putting that together what's actually the most interesting is i was one of the founding team members of on deck so if you know oh, on deck, okay yeah, okay course. yeah um yeah. talking three people in the room saying hey how can we lend to small businesses better right. right how do you scale it um i was part of that team and my co-founder dari vergara was also part of that team he was our cto i was the head of credit analytics um, so pretty much pioneered, you know, how do you get capital to small businesses? Sure. Uh, and lending front is really, um, what I would call sort of the next phase of what I've always thought was the solution to get capital in the hands of small businesses by allowing platforms, whether it's a platform that has a lot of small businesses in it or a bank that has a lot of small businesses in it, the tools they need to deliver that capital in a way that's friendly to the small business. Mm. But but also is uh, protecting the company, putting the capital out and making sure they're making smart decisions. Correct. Yeah. Right. Cool. Um, so what I would love to hear from you, and this is so great because you've been doing this for so long. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about when you look at the last, let's say 10 years, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously 10 years ago, a lot of small businesses, I mean, we're getting merchant cash advance where today that's become a lot less popular due to other options and things like that. So what have been the the major shifts that you've seen in the marketplace over the last 10 years? And, and what have you seen as kind of this iteration of, of capital to small businesses? Yeah. So I guess the way I would describe it is if we, we kind of understand why small businesses are in this pickle, right? In terms of like, why do I get merchant cash advance? And mm-hmm. right. that's all, that's all I right. get. Is because the, the the way the world works today, especially when you think about a bank, right, that, that has a primary relationship with the merchant is they really only have one way of, of delivering capital, right? And that is through a banker mm-hmm. right. at a branch, right? And that machinery is c- caters towards your larger commercial borrowers, sure, right? Because they want to know, they want to build a relationship with you. And that's like expensive machinery, so if you're a small business looking to borrow 50K, you don't fit, right? right? And even if they say yes, and they're going to make any money. So 
the machinery doesn't work for you. Um, you're probably not going to meet the standards that you need to meet because you're essentially being put in the same bucket as these large commercial borrowers. And the products themselves, think about the product, right? The products are, I want to give you a five-year term loan. Right. right. If you're a small restaurant, does that make any sense? No. Probably not. So MCA was sort of the outlet of, hey, mm -hmm. we'll give you money at an extremely high rate because we can. When we did on deck, was sort of a an evolution of how do you take sophisticated lending and try to break that, you know, you either get 5% or 200%, you know, process and maybe hopefully give the customer 30%. Right. Someplace in the middle. Yeah. So, right. So begin to use technology and really begin to show the market that small businesses are solid businesses, right? And that they were using the wrong tools and the wrong data, right? If you think about what a bank wants is they want three years of financial statements, right? Uh, right. Um, to analyze you, but small businesses throw off cash flow all the time, right? Their merchant, you know, their 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 credit card payments, their bank account information, and that's the source data that goes into your financial statements, right? And what's interesting is most big institutions can't absorb that, right? Because of the manual processes. So the biggest change over time has been the adoption of a different way to consume data that's more relevant to the small business, right? The advent of more players realizing that, yes, I can lend to a small business if I look at data that's more relevant to them, but also data that's more recent, right? Like think about 2019, 2020, 2021. Do you think looking at the financials of a business in 2020 will make any sense? No, right? But if you look at businesses that were throwing off cash flow from last week, right, it makes a lot more sense, right? Because you can see the trends, you can see who's making money. So what I would say is there is now a greater level of adoption, greater level of willingness. And certainly that's where we play a part of us bringing more sophisticated traditional lenders around to say, you know what, if I use a different tool set, if I use the data that small business has um, and I do it in a way that fits within my machinery by connecting this other technology platform, I can lend to them and I can give them, you know, essentially capital at a fair rate. Right. Right. So there's more of a grid of adoption. And I would say that has accelerated significantly post COVID. Yeah. Because if you think about it, right, the whole, like, you need to come to a, talk to a banker, to a branch broke, right? You couldn't do it. Right, right. So all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, like I need a different vehicle. I need a digital vehicle to touch the merchants. And that's the biggest thing that we've been we've been working on. And that's why the, the conversation that we're having today around why ISOs are an incredibly important space, right? In terms of how they can leverage this is, is so relevant. Right, right, right. Let's, if, you, if you don't mind, I just want to get a big picture, if you could, sure. for, our, for our audience. You know, in terms of what do you see the demand today um, for capital in the small business market? And, and in particular, I'm really, really curious about programs like the PPP, you know, the Paycheck Protection and the mm -hmm. uh, other SBA, you know, other lending programs that came out of the COVID um, era legislation. If that's had any um, impact on supply and demand. Yeah, so I will say that demand is still at all time high. Okay. The just to give you a sense of the way demand, how how underserved small businesses are. So small businesses, there are thirty two million small businesses in the U.S. Eighty five percent of them are a little less than are about a million dollars in revenue. Mm -hmm. So they're massively small, right? This is massive long tail. Yet small businesses represent about half of all employment in the U.S., right. and about half of the GDP, right? right? So they're incredibly important, but they only get about 20% of the debt capital, right? So they're half, but they only get 20%. That equates to about $800 billion gap, okay? So there is massive demand. We're not even close to meeting the demand that these small businesses need. 
right? That's why you see like the, 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 the what you mentioned, right? That's why you see companies like Square, mm -hmm. right? Like uh, QuickBooks, uh, all these other players delivering capital because the demand's there, right? Banks are not feeling that yet. Right. Um, right. And programs like government, governmental programs like PPP, or especially SBA, don't even make a dent. Um, do you know that like the well, number no, many one... Of those, the, hmm? Many of the SBA programs, you really need to have a relationship with a bank anyway, right? You need to have a relationship with a bank. They're actually slower than the standard commercial process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you'll need literally like six weeks to get through the process. If and you're maybe like, a consultant to help minimum. you through the And process. a consultant. <laughs> and, you know, right. they're trying to give you a 10-year loan. Right. Well, how does that matter when you want 50K? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, um, and... I don't know if you've seen the numbers on the on the SBA side, like banks are happy when they tell you to do a thousand loans a year. Mm -hmm. Like right. that doesn't do anything for anyone. No, that's like not a drop in the bucket, right? Yeah, Correct. yeah, yeah. So okay, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Okay, let's say I'm an ISO. Maybe I have uh, you know ten thousand or more merchant accounts. A steady flow of new accounts coming mm -hmm. in every month. Should I consider offering some a lending tool to my merchants? And if so, why? Capital? Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I will answer that question two ways. So the first answer is absolutely yes. Right. And the way I want you to think about this is what is the future of, I guess, small business banking or relationship building, right? It's it digital, right? Mm -hmm. And and what we do is we provide an embedded banking solution, meaning we can embed into, let's say, an ISO's portfolio, uh -huh. right? And allow their merchants to receive banking offers real time, okay? Which is different than the current Based model. Based on their they, activity? Hmm? Based on activity that's- Based on activity, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at the flows, the stability right. of payments, and you're like, look, this is a $2 million business. It's growing. Banks on the other side are going to want to get in front of that, Right. Right. Because that's superior to going to a branch, come talk to me, right? Mm -hmm. You're selecting who you can talk to. And the reason the ISOs want to do this is think about it, right? Um, it's really hard to get customers, right? If you do nothing, you're a one-trick pony. Right. So if you are able to deliver capital, especially this is the key part. This is not MCA, right? MCA is only good for your bottom 15%. Right. right? Your bottom the customers that are really desperate. And pretty much this restaurants, is, right? Right. This is, how do I touch my other 85% with tier one money? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And then what happens there is you're doing two things. One, your cost of acquisition goes down, right? It's basically cut right. in half because now you have two revenue generating products. You're just, right. So whoever takes that loan, your cost of acquisition is basically half. Second, when they take a loan, the average term right? Because they take a renewal. It's about an incremental 18 months right. of staying with you. So your retention basically so is right. about 18 months. Right. So not only are you making money on that loan, but you're making money on the payments relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, you are now becoming a financial services solutions partner to that merchant, mm -hmm. right? How do I, how do I get, like with you, they essentially are getting potentially pre-approved banking offers, Right. Versus if they're not with you, they have to go through the traditional, I need to go into a branch and talk to a banker. This is going to kill me, right? So this makes all the sense in the world because big players like Square, that's what they're doing, right? Right? They're basically saying, here's payments. Then I'm going to layer in lending and now I'm going to layer in deposits. Right, so what right, we're right. doing is essentially allowing an ISO to compete head to head with a Square without having to become a bank. Because we'll bring the bank to that. Love it. Yeah, I think I think it's, you know, for those that haven't really experienced it, I mean, it's pretty slick now. You know, you go to like, mm -hmm. you log into QuickBooks, um, they want to loan you money. You log into Stripe, they want to loan you money. You log into Square, they want to loan you money. You go to Bluevine, they're trying to loan you money. There's, this is very, very competitive. And the, and the scary thing about it is, you know, all but one of the companies I just mentioned are offering payment processing. And so they're not just trying to get your, you know, the lending, they're using that as a hook because they want to get the payment processing. They want to keep the payment processing. That's right. So, so what I would be curious to hear is 
let's say that this ISO is like, okay, cool. I want to do this. So I want to make capital available to uh, my merchants, but they say, I don't want to be the bank at all. I don't want to put any money at risk. I don't want to, I just want to have a revenue source. How does that work? Who's actually lending the money and like, give us a little bit more context of how that's, that, that works. For sure. Them. So we are a platform that banks use to lend. Okay. So think of us as I'm a bank. I have a hundred thousand merchants. I have a merchant services business, right? So the, you know, a lot of banks have a payments business. Mm -hmm. So we are, we've already enabled them to sort of use sort of the same Stripe model, Square model on their customer base. Right. What we're doing now is saying, because they're also saying we want to acquire, you know, other banking relationships, right? So what we're doing is allowing your ISOs, if they don't want to take on the, the risk, to plug into those banks, mm -hmm. right? And the banks are comfortable because it's essentially the same process, right? It's a small business that takes credit cards. It's the same type of information. And they're sitting on lending front rails. So it's not the typical like, oh, you qualify. I'm going to send it over a fence and I am i don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to wait a couple you know, days, weeks for it to come back and maybe it's approved or not. This is all on the same platform. Basically, the bank is getting an automatic feed saying, look, this is the merchant. It fits your profile. The bank says, absolutely, right? Because a bank is not married to merchant services, right? right? The bank has a lot of different products. And what, and what they're struggling with, right, is, and this is the typical scenario, right? I'm a bakery, right? I do a million dollars at the beginning of the year. By the end of the year, maybe I'm a three million. So I'm killing it. Right. Like people are coming to my bakery. So what what does that mean when you have that level of growth? Well, it means there's, there's probably an ARAP imbalance. Right. Because there's a lot of growth. So you need a line of credit. Mm -hmm. OK. And I guarantee you, your ISOs have customers like that. Oh, yeah. Right. And that merchant's like trying to figure out what to do. And the MCA is not going to offer that. Right. No. Second. Right. You're going through your machinery, probably. So you need a term loan. Right. Because you need to replace stuff. Right. Or you're growing so fast that you need to expand, right? You need to, you know, maybe you need to buy your building. And MCA isn't going to help you with that. A bank is going to say, I want to give you a, you know, commercial real estate loan, right? Then you're the owner of that business. So guess what? I am, I am doing extremely well. Well, I need an auto loan. I need a mortgage, right? So a bank's thinking, how do I leverage somebody else's relationship with real-time data on a business that I know, right? Understand, right? So I can build this digital relationship. And that's where an ISO can take advantage and say, I own this relationship. I built it. Pay me a referral fee for every product you want to push this customer, hmm. right? Without risk. Right. Now, one of the things I, I can already imagine our audience thinking is most of these banks do offer merchant services, Right. So how do you, how does your platform kind of protect that relationship? So the ISO says, well, yeah, that I do own yeah, this relationship, a, but I don't want the bank question. to so we, Yeah, that's a great question. So we have different types of banks on the platform. Okay. So we have banks that do have their own merchant services and we have banks that don't. And the ISO can decide, or your, you know, your sort of your listeners can decide who they want to work with. Sure. Right. Okay. What's interesting is we work with a lot of, small community banks mm -hmm. that and most most small community banks don't really have a big merchant right. service they, they, may, they might be referring people to a merchant service exactly. provider, but they don't it's not like a core offer that's right so what you can do you know is essentially say look I, i'll give you an example we work with community bank in new york you work with a community bank in massachusetts okay so if for example you have a client a merchant from your client that's in one of those states, they can they may get a different offer based on the state they're in because you want to push them maybe to a community bank that's like next to them, right? right? Not a big national player that's going to right. be sort of not as welcoming. Yeah. So I don't want to say like we have hundreds of banks, but we have enough banks that, um, I, at least from 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 the 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 the, the conversations I have. The, think of this as you know they don't want to go in like i guess kill the golden goose right right like why would i shut off and try to steal the merchant merchant relationship on somebody 
who's who has 10,000 merchants and is and they're good quality merchants and they're going out there getting them. And all right. I'm doing then is just looking at the data and sending offers. Like that's great. Yeah, for them that's perfect. It gives yeah. them a chance to put their capital to good use and get a good right. ROI. So, um so yeah, this is super interesting. All right, so so now let's let's talk about you know, I mean, obviously in, in our industry, one thing that's interesting about it is even though, you know, people are always talking about kind of the demise of the ISO and, you know, our, our industry is the dinosaurs and, you know, mm -hmm. and all this, the truth is our industry makes a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And most of these ISOs have an enormous amount of cash flow. Um, they have access to borrow whatever they want to borrow, get whatever they want to get from investors. I mean, this is a very, very liquid industry. You know, we have private mm -hmm. equity is just like eating our industry alive and, you know, so let's say we have an ISO and, and they look at this and say, well, I don't really want the bank to be in contact with my customer. And I don't want to really want the bank to make any money off of me. I think I'll make all the money. So they say, I want to get the capital and I'm going to do this, but they don't understand lending really. You know, that's not their core competency. How could they work potentially with lending front to become their own, you know, uh, take the risk and be able to loan maybe some or all of the money to these people? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So what's great about lending front is, we would just license them the technology, right? Because then they become the lender, right? Right. Uh, what that basically means is we provide them with the front-end components to take the application, the workflow management to work through all the applications, actually the decision engine so they can put in their rule sets. We, because we have so much experience, we can tell, we have a score as well. Think of it as a FICO score, right? That says, here's the odds you choose, right? Because you're the lender, so you have to decide what your cutoffs right. are. But you have essentially a, 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 a what I would call a lending box you can start with, right? To sure. start the machinery, mm -hmm. right? It, you still need to hire an underwriter, right? You still need to hire some people to, to, to move this process. But the difficulty of like, do I need to buy the tech, build the tech and you know, what's the score and all that's built, right? We, we do that today with a lot of clients that, that want to lend their own money, right? They're not banks. Uh, it's just a question of how much of the pie do you want? Well, that was going to be my next question is, can they, because I know like with Merchant Cash Advance, you know, a lot of ISOs made a lot of money by, you know, covering 10% of each loan that went out, you know, that sort of thing. Is is that is that sort of thing available with this as well, where they could say like, you know, they're, they're sharing in it, or is it more kind of like you do, you choose which loans you want to do, or how does that work? Yeah. I, I mean, so think of the platform as the ability for you to decide who, how much do you want to lend to somebody for how long, uh, under what conditions, right? Like you just, right. first thing you need to decide how much you want to lend to whom, right? right? Then, you know, you're collecting on that or you're about to collect on that. And then the question becomes, how much of that do you want to hold, right? Do you okay. want to sell some of that off? Right. Um, and we support that, right? Our machinery allows you to sell pieces or the whole thing right. to somebody and yeah. then just. So it's more like, more like traditional banking where the, the ISO here would kind of be almost like the, you know, branch level bank where it's like, they're, they're putting the money out initially. They're going to loan somebody $50,000. Right. Right. And then you're saying maybe they can package that up. They've, they've done 50,000 loan to a hundred people. Right. Now they're going to package this up. And they're going to say, I really want to sell half of that or 75% of it to a larger bank at a good rate. I'm going to arbitrage the difference. Yeah. Well, I would say this from an ISO side right now. So the, the, the way it works right now is you start doing your own lending. Right. Chances are uh, you can syndicate it out, but it's a, by, you know, on a loan by loan basis and, okay. and, yeah. and maybe a bank will play or not. Right. Tank, okay. it, it will be probably be somebody else like you. Right, like another ISO who says, right. I want a piece of that as well, right? right. Um, but we are working with, so part of the whole referral component, right, is there is a lot of demand from this community banks to get exposure to small business lending. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and what's funny is I didn't know this till I started really talking to a lot of community banks about, hey, you say you want to lend, but what's the problem? Like, why aren't you What lending? happens is, you know, one to $5 billion banks don't have a lot of staff, right? Especially in operations and lending. And when, and if you're asked, if you ask them, Hey, do you want to stand up a, a team to do a hundred loans, right? Small business loans are 50 K is really hard for them because they need to hire people. Right. They need to put all the machinery to, you know, sort of track this stuff and compliance, right? It's hard, right? For that. And, but if you say, 
would you like to buy one loan that's made up of a hundred small loans? Right. Sure. Do it all day long. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. Sure. And that's where sort of this, this mechanism of, Hey, originate your loans and then mm -hmm. you can package them and sell them. Right. And that's starting to really accelerate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that's, what's exciting, right? The, the, the market oh. is moving fast. Which is really actually how community banks got into lending way, way back when. I mean, they would they would package up these loans and sell them to their upstream correspondents. Right, and and so now it's sort they're of like coming back around again. Yeah, yeah, they can streamline it now. So yeah, that's great. I love it. So um, yeah, I think this is just super important, um, Jorge. I'm sure a lot of people in our audience are going to want to learn more. Um, where would you send the uh, ISO to? You know, learn more about LendingFront. Yeah, just can go to our website www.lendingfront.com. They can enter their information that requests a demo or a meeting and happy to take them through the process. Love it. Uh, Hori, this has been uh, super interesting. I'm sure we'll talk again. And uh, I just love what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. I think it's uh, anytime the, you know, anytime the ISOs get a chance to take advantage of cutting edge technology where they can compete with head to head with Square, Stripe, Intuit, and these others while at the same time making a lot of money, uh, I'm always on board for that. So yeah. thanks so much for taking your time to share the insights today. Really appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Patty, I had a great conversation with uh, BJ myself uh, ah, Okay. recently, yesterday, actually, I think it was, as the time of this recording. But, um, you know, one of the things we were talking about was just the next-gen ISO and, and you know, this idea, and you talked about today about the ISV model and all that. And so what's happening here is for the ISO that has the distribution, okay, and they they their core competency is salespeople. And this is so relevant for this entire episode because you talk later about this as well. But, you know, business owners want to talk to people. Right. They, by payment, you know, services and ISOs have people and they're mm -hmm. very good at that. They have that core competency. What they're lacking a lot of times is the integration and understanding how to become a next gen ISO. Um, I've talked to several people recently about, you know, um, ISOs need to be acquiring technology companies to, to start this IT department. They know they're going to do it on their own. They got to buy right. the culture from somebody else. Um, and so there's all these different moving parts and like, well, when I buy the tech company, how do I make sure I have a really smooth onboarding process? How do I make sure that the payment processing is working with their system? How do I get their developers to integrate with our payment processing? You know, there's, there's all these questions that come to become a next gen ISO. You have to have a processor agnostic mm -hmm. partner in the technology space. Yeah. That's going to bring these worlds together for you of payments right. and technology. That is exactly where NMI sits. Mm -hmm. They are the partner you're looking for on the tech side. So yeah. If you want to become a next-gen ISO, an ISO that is, you know, where, where technology isn't an afterthought, it's not this other thing you do, it is the core of your business, it is integrated with everything that you do, if you want that, you need to go to NMI.com and you need to learn more about partnering with them to facilitate this technology integration that you're trying to build out. Yeah, because you're basically going to get all the technology you need in a single place. Yep. So head over to NMI.com, check it out. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. Yeah. Um, yeah, whenever you're ready for it, go for it. Got it. Um, so I'm not quite sure if it was it was so much a question, just as like just the the straight fear of like you know my goal for the day is to go door to door, and then I get in my car and I find out that I'm really just driving around putting miles on my lease and wasting a lot of gas. Yes. And yes. and it's just it, it's it's just very fearful and it like literally freezes me to the point where I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're going home for the day and watching more videos. Yeah. So um, first of all, the thing that's most important to know about this is that you are definitely not alone with this. Uh, this is like um, probably one of the most common things that happens, especially in our industry as I talk to um, salespeople, they really struggle with this. So there's a couple of things I will tell you. And, and I mean, I've struggled, I struggle with it as well. I mean, obviously there's many times where for me it's audiobooks. So I'll get started on audiobook. And then that's my like excuse, you know what I mean? I'll be out in the field and then it's like, oh, I'm going to finish this audiobook before I walk in, you yeah, know? Yeah. Right. So we always find these ways to procrastinate. Um, so here's the thing you want to do. 
number one is you have to change the reason that you're going out in the field in the first place. So what I find usually when that fear, when I'm talking to agents that are struggling with that and I say, well, why are you out in the field? And they're like, well, I'm trying to make sales. And I'm like, that's why. So when I go out in the field, I'm not going out in the field to make sales. I'm going out in the field to meet business owners and network. Right. And so, yeah. you know, that's a very subtle shift, but it's really important because when you get it in your head that like, I got to go make a sale. Well, then if, you know, then you're like, well, how am I going to approach it? And when I walk in, what am I going to say? And, and what if there's already people in there, you know, versus if you say, Hey, I'm just out here to meet some business owners today and just to talk to them, give them my business card. And that's the only reason I'm out here. Well, now all of a sudden, all that kind of shifts a little bit. And you're like, well, I can do that. Like I can go meet business owners. Then it's all about you're starting that conversation with them. I mean, naturally, it's going to flow to the same place anyway, right? You're still going to be talking about sales and, and all of that. Hope so. You hope so, right? Or maybe you don't, which is fine as well, right? Maybe they, it's obvious they're not a good fit. Well, that's fine because you weren't in there to sell them anyway. You were there to meet them and, and to try to help some business owners. So I think, you know, changing the reason. And then the, the second part about it that I like to do is I like to change the approach really significantly. So, you know, there'll be days where when I was selling full-time, there were a lot of days where I really was in a good mental place. Um, usually it helped me to listen to a sales uh, program or something while I was driving out. I'm kind of a, I like uh, fanatical prospecting. I usually go back to that one. Uh, I really like that book, but <clears throat> I listen to these sales programs. Sometimes I was in a really good mental place and I would walk in to network, but I was like super confident and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? You know, I talked to him for a minute and then say, Hey, let me tell you what I can do for you guys. And I was just very confident. Other days I could tell I just didn't have it. And I was like, you know, I just don't got it today. So when that happens, what I do is I completely shift my pitch to a survey pitch. So the survey pitch is when I go out in the field, I'm not actually going out there to um, sell them anything regardless. Like no matter what they say, I'm I, I'm like, I'm not there to sell them that day. So the idea with the survey pitch is I'm literally there to do a survey. So I'll walk in, you know, hey, how's it going? Great. Hey, I just had a quick question for you. I'm actually doing a little survey. So I'm a local business owner just getting started uh, in this area or whatever you have to say, or I'm selling a new product or whatever the excuse is, right? And the yeah. reason I'm stopping by is I'm just trying to, to do like a real quick three question survey that I'm asking as many local business owners as I can, just to kind of make sure I'm on the right track with what I'm doing. Do you have like a minute to answer these three questions? And then they'll say usually yes. And then you have your three questions that you plan ahead of time, which are probably something like, um, depends on what you're selling. Let's assume you're just selling like dual pricing, right? You would say something like, um, have you ever been to a fuel station that charged a card price and a cash price where the card price is a little higher? You know, and they'll usually say yes. And you say, <clears throat> did you, was that like an acceptable practice or did you feel like that gas station was being dishonest? No, okay. I didn't think it was dishonest at all. Okay, awesome. Well, the third question is, have you ever considered doing a program like that in your business where you have a different price for cash and card? Okay. <clears throat> right, so something like that. And I just made it up off the top of my head, but you get the idea. You know, I've done all kinds of different ones depending on if I'm selling technology or if I'm selling payments, whatever my main kind of lead in. Um, but you have these three questions. And then from that, you can then, depending on how you're feeling in that moment, you can either go for it and you can say, well, that's awesome. That's that's actually what I'm here to talk to you about. You know what I mean? And then you go into it. Or you could say, well, that's great. What that tells me is probably um, you would be a good fit for the program that we're rolling out because that's what it is. We're helping business owners with that. Is there a time maybe later this week or next week where you'd have like 10 or 15 minutes? I'd like to come in and actually explain what we're doing, get a little more feedback from you if, if you have a little time or maybe you've got 15 minutes right now. So you can... You know, so, um, and then I'll tell you one, one other little hack for this is, you know, it sounds really childish. So it's like, I don't talk about it too much on, on content. Right. But, but it's just the truth is that you got to reward yourself. You know, like a lot of times people forget that, like when you're out selling independently, you are, you're not only the salesperson, but a lot of times you're also the manager like of yourself. And yeah. so you don't have anybody to give you positive, like reinforcement. So like for me personally, Back when I was selling full time, you know, say 12 years ago up to like six, seven years ago, um, what I would do is um, I would walk into 20 businesses. And then once I walked into 20 businesses, um, I would go have like a, a snack that I wanted or I would go sit in a, you know, get a lunch that I wanted and listen to an audiobook or whatever, go get an ice cream, you know, but like every day when I would start out like a little kid, you know, I would kind of have my objective and it's like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, and, and the objective is clearly based on effort. It has nothing to do with results. I don't ever go out and say, once I close a deal, I'm going to do X. No, I don't do that because now I've got that fear again of like, oh, am I going to get, no, it's like, okay, I'm going to walk into 20 businesses. Once I do that, I'm going to stop and I'm going to go do X because that's what I want to do. And I'm going to go do that for an hour. 
then I might try to go to 10 more. We'll see how the day goes. Or maybe I won't, maybe I'm done. Right. But I would set that objective. Um, and that would really help me to just get out and get into the businesses. And then again, I would use all those tactics of, you know, I'm here networking. I would, that, that's the kind of language I would use when I walked in is the kind of language you would use if you were networking, you know? Um, and, and then I would do the survey pitch. So, you know, what I would say is at the end of the day, you walking into a business and having a conversation with a business owner, if you do that enough times, you're going to win. So what do you have to say to yourself to get you to do that? Right. And so for me, that was, I'm not here to sell. I'm just here to, to network. I'm just going to do a quick survey. And if I did that, then I, I could, I could make myself do it. Yeah, I did the phone calling because I have um, experience in business development, oh, that's cool. um, okay. like in a call center. So I, I've listened to tons of your videos and I, I started with that after like two weeks. I'm like, I'm done. I'm just going to call. Yeah. Um, and that was like you said, I'm just, you know, I just started a business. I'm new to the area. You know, I just want to introduce myself, drop off some information. Who would I speak to get the owner's name and around about time that they would be there? Yeah. Uh, and then when it was time to go do that, I just, I just froze. I was like, okay, well, I guess, and it, it, it was, you know, disheartening because I put yeah. in all this work and effort into calling all these businesses and getting the information. Right. But then when it came to actually going in and I was like, well, what do I say now when I go yeah. in there? You know yeah. what I mean? So that's where I, I just and, get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, so, so let's, let's use that as a really specific example. Right. So when, when that happens, right, you have to take a step back and understand that right now, because you're newer you have to approach this thing in phases, right? So you did the phone call, that's huge, right? So you figure that piece of it out. Then the next step could be literally go in and drop off some information. Like that's better than not walking in because yeah. it gets you, you know, gets you used to that. So you might say for the next 20, I'm just going to get a trifle brochure for my processing company. I'm literally just going to walk in, hand them the information and say, thanks so much for taking time to look at this. Like, that's fine. Like that, that is success for that day, right? Then the next yeah. day, you know, next day you have five or six more. And now you say, okay, for these, when I walk in, I'm going to try to do that survey pitch. And I'm just going to ask done them. That. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that help at all? Does that make it easier for you? So I was a lot more successful and I am new to this area. I moved from New York and I'm, I'm in Myrtle Beach now. So I sure. am very unfamiliar with my surroundings. It's off season right now. Places are opening later in the day. Right. Uh, traffic is much slower. So it makes it a little more difficult where, you know, if I was in the city, it would be no big deal. Right. right. Um, so help me understand that you mean it makes it more difficult in what way? Um, well, like where I'm from, businesses are open at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, um, right. So you say you don't have as big of a window. And there's more like of those mini malls that you've talked about and things like that, where you can hit mm. one after another. Yeah. Um, it's kind of not like that around here. You just, you can't walk a mile to, you got to get in your car and drive a little yeah. farther down sure. and then stop at a business. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, people, uh, businesses are closing temporarily now during this time back until, you know, they'll open up again in February, sure. um, or you're sure. meeting with owners and they're like, Oh yeah, I'll see you on Tuesday. But then you show up and it's like, we're closed Monday and Tuesday. Right. Right. Um, right. so you're like, okay, well, they just told me that cause they didn't want to meet with me is the right. thought process on that where some people may just simply forget, but being right. new and, and, you know, very nervous, you're like, okay, they just, they didn't want to talk to me. Right. Like they weren't interested. Uh, and, and maybe, uh, and maybe that, maybe that is the case. You know what I mean? That's fine. Um, but here's, here's our minds get to us. Uh, yeah. But you know, I, I really wouldn't worry too much about that. And here's why I say that. I, I think the efficiency of like, oh, you lost a couple hours of time or some businesses are closed. I mean, you have a much bigger problem right now, right? Your, your problem is you got to be able to contact these people and then walk in and talk to them. Yeah. Like, right. The window of time is kind of irrelevant right now. So I wouldn't worry about that as much. What I would say is, again, just keep kind of lowering your standard to, to of, of expectation on yourself until you're able to take consistent action. Then increase the expectation. So, so again, I mean, to be really clear, I'm saying like, it might literally be that you're going to walk in, hand them your business card and say, I just want to introduce myself. If you ever need anything on the in terms of payment processing point of sale systems or have any questions about that, I'm a local business owner that deals with that. And I really appreciate your time. And you hand them the business card and they say, okay. And then you leave. That's fine. Like if that's what you need to do for three days or a week, in order to get used to making the call, setting up the appointment and walking in, fantastic, yeah. right? Then you're going to get to the next week. And the next week, you're going to say, okay, now I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. I'm going to do that same thing. But then I'm going to say, I actually have a three-question survey, right? And then you're going to do that every single time. Do that for like a week. 
right? Then you're going to say, okay, now I'm going to try to actually, you know, talk more about it while I'm there after the last question of the survey. I'm not going to leave after that. I'm actually going to like keep talking about it. So you you have to like position yourself for success by, you know, slowly ratcheting up the expectation on yourself. Um, but, but you have to have that foundation of action. Like you have to be walking into 10 to 20 businesses every day or, or call, you know, contacting 10 to 20 a day through the phone, but you've got to be doing one or the other. Otherwise, you know, you can't succeed. And so you have to do those things. Right. And then once you have that foundation of action, it's actually not as hard as you would think to increase the expectation, because honestly, a lot of the nervousness to, to really be honest, like when you actually go out and do this a lot, a lot of the nervousness is about the unknown, you know, like, and people don't ever talk about this, but it's such a real thing. Like when I'm going to walk into a business, I mean, what am I going to do? Like, what if they have a line of people? Right. What I if play the like, customer, like you say, like I look around for a little while because right. it's nerve wracking. Yeah. Do I get in line? Do I not get in line? Do right. I speak up? No. Yes. So I've, I've watched all that and I, I play the customer. Yeah, you do all that. But, but this is my point. My point is you're going to be a lot less nervous about that after a week of just giving them your business card. Because even to give them your business card, you're going to have to navigate all of that. You know what I mean? And after mm-hmm. you've navigated it like 50 times, you're just, your comfort level changes. And you're just like, yeah. okay, I'm not as nervous about walking in. Like you kind of know, like, oh, I'm walking into a restaurant. It's, you know, 1030 in the morning. They're probably in a rush to get ready, but there's no customers. Like, you know what I mean? You just kind of like know more what to expect and you feel more comfortable. Then yeah. when you walk in, you you feel more comfortable to go to the next step and, and have those conversations. No, you know? for sure. It all makes sense. I, I agree. It's just yeah. like you said, doing it. It is. It's really, it's really hard. I, I, what I would say is really, you know, really find a way to like, again, a, here's a question to ask yourself. What would I be willing to actually do 10 to 20 times a day with a business? You know what I mean? Like there's going to be something, right? I mean, if you're going to, and, and again, you know, I don't know you at all. Right. So, I mean, assuming that you're cut out for sales and that this is what you're supposed to do and that you're passionate about. Right. Um, I think I am. And I, and I agree. You seem like you have that personality, but I mean, there's other people will listen to this. And I mean, there are a lot of people who are great people and they're fantastic at a lot of things, but they're not in, they're not supposed to be in sales like that. You know what I mean? It doesn't, that doesn't in any way determine, uh, you know, how someone is, is uh, valuable, profitable or their career. You know, it just, I know tons of people who are super successful that like, if they had to walk into 10 businesses a day and they would just die, like, there's no way they would ever do it. Like no matter how much training they got, like that's not in their DNA. They're not going to do that. And that's fine. But assuming you're cut out for sales, I think the key is, lower that expectation down to say, well, I would be willing to at least walk in and hand on my business card. That doesn't freak me out. Then do that, right? Then raise the bar to the next thing and just keep keep raising no, that no, bar. I definitely, yeah, I definitely think I can do that. Yeah. Um, I also expect a lot more of myself. So I know, uh, I know, you know. I know. And it's so hard for me to tell salespeople. Like, I know it's hard to tell salespeople that the way to succeed is to lower the expectation because that's kind of like, yeah. that's counterintuitive. Like that's not how we- and you want to make money. Like, Right. You want to make money. You want to go. But the thing is, the fastest path to you taking action and making, you know, making money is actually to lower the expectation on yourself and give yourself. Yeah. And again, it literally could be even like a couple of days. Like if you do that for a couple of days, you may be like, I got this. And I'll tell you what else is funny about it. Even though your expectation is super low on yourself and you're like, okay, I'm just going to hand him my business card. That's not what's going to happen. Like when you actually get in there and hand him your business card and you're talking to him, somebody's going to say, well, tell me more about what you do. And you're going to talk to them. Like, you know what I mean? It's going to happen anyway. It's not going to happen as much, but like you are going to get some results from that. So it's like, get yourself in a position to take action and then just do your best from there. And and then keep ratcheting up your expectation on on that interaction as you get better at it. I certainly wish you fantastic success and welcome to the industry. No, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, so James, you know, we have spoken a lot about the trend towards integrating payment processing with software. For sure. Um, I know that this is a favorite topic of yours, especially. Um, I just got done writing a a pretty large feature about it um, coming out in the green sheet uh, later in in the second half of uh, November, towards the end of November. Okay. 
Awesome. So in doing that report, I came upon a report in doing that story. I came upon a report from the consultancy McKinsey that puts all of this into perspective. And um, I thought that, you know, I'd share this with our audience and also yeah. kind of like an attaboy to you, because a lot of what I read in this report is stuff that you've been writing about in your merchant sales insights. Um, a couple of them that I've read. Thank so, you. Yeah, I was uh, glad I, I read the report as well. And I was glad to see that McKinsey has finally noticed what's going on. So that was- I know, right? It's like <laughs> McKinsey should hire James, but that's okay. Probably uh, I not. Think, I, I think I'll be a, an independent consultant. My I like your I like it better that way. <laughs> but you know, the upshot, of course, is that merchant acquirers and ISOs need to act quickly to address this this trend or risk irrelevancy. You yeah. know, it's interesting. I, I spoke with um DJ Sandy, who of course is with NMI, yeah. our sponsor, when I was doing my story. And he uh, he had this great quote. He's like, uh, for those who don't like change, I I can assure you they like irrelevancy less. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that that was, you know, something here. So anyway, McKinsey sur- surveyed over 800 businesses for its annual merchant acquiring survey, found that Nearly half, 48%, now use ISVs for payment processing, and 15% are in the process of making that transition. Yep. And which ISVs are they using? Primarily Square and Clover. Toast is a close second in the food and beverage vertical, where overall ISV adoption stands at 65%. Which doesn't surprise me. I know you. You know we've spoken to several people on the podcast that are that are targeting that that um, vertical. Um, you know, small businesses are drawn to ISVs by their growing list of value-added services. Seventy percent of the surveyed firms said they use at least one value-added service from their payment processing providers. These include uh, business credit cards, fraud management, accounting solutions, payroll. Those are like the top four all of which uh, were cited between 30 and 40%, which is, you know, significant, I thought. Yeah. But here's a stat that really st- stands out to me. Small businesses that are not using ISV payment providers, in other words, those that are using the legacy providers, mm-hmm. are three times more likely to switch to an ISV in the coming year than are those that are already using an ISV um, likely to switch to another ISV. So in other words, so in other words, if if you're not if you're not integrated with an I if you're not using an ISV to run your business, you're about to. You're yes, exactly. Well, and I think I think one thing I'd interject that I do think is interesting here. I mean, one thing to clarify about this report that I actually was I felt like they kind of got wrong is they didn't seem to really understand our business very well. And 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 what I mean by that is, you know, yeah, Clover is one of the ones. Well, Clover is sold almost entirely by ISOs. Right. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And so it wasn't it wasn't a report of saying, you know, ISO versus ISV. It was they which is the way they positioned the the, the survey, which was incorrect. But you right. know what it was was it was just saying there is a trend that businesses are all switching to using software to run their business. Now the variable is, are those software companies integrating with companies payment processing that's that's benefiting the ISO agent channel or are they becoming their own payback or using their own payback like service right and cutting us out right and there was some other reports that you've talked about in the past and, and things that, that covered that question so yeah, I think that's and, important to note too this is just about ISV adoption not necessarily who's doing the payment processing who's doing for the, the payment ISV. processing agreed and and like you said I mean I I, I kind of chuckled when I saw them listing clover for example right. um you know because you know first data or or Fiserv um, I right. also thought it was interesting. They they talked about global payments having purchased thousands of ISVs. Well, not necessarily. You know, right. it, there's a lot of partnerships, but these aren't necessarily ISVs that are going after um, right. the payments component. But what was interesting about this report is that it came on the heels of a report that I also came upon from Credit Suisse. Okay. And I thought that was interesting. It said that uh, I think this is a little bit more um, realistic, shall we say? Okay. Uh, they estimated that software-led payments account for about 16% of payments processing uh, payment processing volumes, um, and that these payments are growing at about two times the industry averages. 
so that by 2023, they expect about one in five, 20% of payments volume to be going through these companies. Um, and one of the things that Credit Suisse said, which is not surprising, is that these companies um, that provide both software and payment processing see uh, attrition rates of 10% or less. Now, here's another bright spot. Here's a, another bright spot I thought about some um, in all of this reporting is that ISVs focusing on sub-verticals could snag share from the, you know, from the likes of Square and Toast. And they use examples like pizza shops as being a sub-vertical of food and beverage, which made me chuckle because I know you talk about pizza mm -hmm. shops a lot. Oh, yeah. I think about it in terms of healthcare. You have so many sub-verticals within healthcare. Right, of course. Sure. You know? um, and so here's a quote that I just thought was interesting from the McKinsey report. It said, uh, the same formula that allowed Square to displace incumbents is now letting newer companies penetrate sub-verticals, underserved sub-verticals. Yeah, absolutely. And one way to achieve this is by continuing to embed value-added services into the mix. Yeah, well, and, and I talked about this uh, in a, I don't even think of the Merchant Sales Insight is out yet, but I was talking about this recently in one that I was writing because, you know, what businesses want now, they don't, they don't want, you know, it used to be the trend was five years ago, we need software, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I need a software for my payroll. I need a software for my point of sale system. I need a software for my um, scheduling. I need a software to manage my inventory. I want a software that does this. I want a software that does that. Now, what these small businesses are saying is, no, I just no, want one software. One thing does everything. Right. Well, yeah. how do you do that? If you're square, how do you build the ideal software for hobby stores that allows them to do everything they want while also building the ideal one for a um, yoga studio right. while also building one for a pet store while also, you know, well, you don't. I mean, if you're these huge software companies, they cannot do that. It's not possible. You right. can't build, you know, really vertical specific software for everybody that can do everything. I mean, that's just not possible, you know. Right. Right. Um, and so that's what their biggest, you know, risk is now is that now there's all of these other companies that are saying, well, we've got, three developers and two salespeople and a CEO. And we're going to focus on, on, you know, yoga studios. Right. And that's all we're going to be doing. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, well that, you know, we could do that. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And there, you know, there was another thing I wanted to talk that I just wanted to bring up very briefly is that in the McKinsey report, they also found that small businesses like to deal with sales reps. Yeah, you mean they, they like to deal with people instead of... They like to deal yeah. with people, yep. right? 40% of those surveyed said they purchased services through a salesperson or a payments consultant. Yep. Which I think, you know, speaks really, you know, loudly to incumbent companies because it yep. will give them a broader reach. Yep. It's why, it's it's honestly, it's why the big companies come to me with the yeah. consulting because they'll come and say, we've got the technology and they'll say how do we get more leads? And, right. you know, we're, we're maximizing Facebook spend, we're maximizing, you know, online, we're maximizing Google AdWords. What do we do next? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do you have a sales team? No. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going after small business owners, they really like to talk to a person, whether that's an inside sales team that's getting fed leads that you're you know, right. nurturing them and you have SDRs and all that uh, model, or if you're going direct to agents or whatever it might be, you know, that's, that's really mm -hmm. crucial too. Wow, good stuff, Patty. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.